Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. It says in the Prophets, Whoever is thirsty should drink water. Seems like an obvious statement. Of course, if you're thirsty, you're going to drink water. What else should you do if you're thirsty? Rabbis say the Torah is referring to water refers to Torah. Thirsty means when you're thirsty for godliness. So you would think, okay, let me start meditating. Let me, I'm thirsty for spirituality. Let me go and meditate. Let me go and focus. Let me go and meditate. So the Torah says you're looking for godliness. Go take a piece of Talmud and start learning a gore, acts of gores and other acts and start learning the civil law and the Chumash and Rashi and law, agricultural law and this. What? I'm hungry for spirituality. I'm hungry for godliness. What, are you, what am I learning here? Talmud, legalities, law. That's what the prophet is telling you. Go to water. Because when you're studying that Torah, that bit of Torah, at that moment you are becoming one with the divine. And you're becoming closer to God than, than there's nothing else. There's no substitute. All the meditation in the world, all the prayers in the world, all the reflections in the world, all, can't, come even, can't even come close. High levels of consciousness. To the level of the unity of the divine as you have when you study a piece of Torah. Even though you may not see the connection. I'm studying something material, physical, civil law, agricultural law. Is it? I don't feel the holiness. But the holiness is there. Just because you don't feel it doesn't change reality. The holiness is there. Prayer is within the framework of the world. You pray to God, even on a simple level. You pray to God to fulfill your needs. There's a world, you have a need. You pray to God to fulfill your need. Torah, there is no world, there is no need. There is no, all there is is God. So you totally transcend the whole frame of reference, the whole framework of reality. Upper, higher, lower world, spiritual world. There's no right, there's no left, there's no upper, there's no higher, there's no world. All there is is God. And you become unified within that reality because you get into the mind of God from God's perspective from God's mind what engages God is God himself well there is is God there is nothing and even though the Torah deals with the acts and deals with the world but really that the acts contains within it the divine infinite wisdom what engages God's mind and it's all in there in that halach it's just a parable the reason why we're able to study Torah, even though the, the revelation that we receive when we study Torah is so intense, is so profound, is so deep, is so powerful, that we're actually absorbing and receiving the essence of God Himself, and nevertheless we don't feel anything. But it's precisely because we don't feel anything, that's why we're able to receive it. Were we to feel, we would be overwhelmed. Do you imagine every time you read a verse in the Torah? You felt that you were receiving God Himself, you would be overwhelmed. You thought that you saw the lightning and the thunder of Sinai and you heard it. You would just be overwhelmed. You wouldn't be able to study Torah. You study Torah, you have to use your mind, you have to understand the logic, it has to make sense to you. You'd be so overwhelmed by the divinity and by what's happening, the experience, that you simply wouldn't be able to, to handle it. And that's why in the upper worlds, they can't receive us. Because it would just overwhelm them, it would nullify them. It's only in this world, because we're oblivious, because we're totally insensitive, we don't even realize what's going on, that we're able to absorb it. They give a beautiful parable. This is the king once appointed the leading artisan in this kingdom to put together a crown and to put the most precious jewels in the crown. And he was working a few months in it, and when he came to put the crown jewel right in the center of the crown, he was so nervous. The artisan was so nervous because he realized what's at stake here. 
if he messes up, if he blows it, this is the crown jewel, and it's the crown, he's working so hard. He took the crown, and he was so nervous that he almost dropped the crown. He says, no, I can't do this. So he called in a simple, simple artist, the simplest artist. He had no idea what a crown was. He had no idea what a crown jewel was. He told him, listen, do this and this, follow my instructions, do this. And he went ahead and did it. He wasn't nervous. He did it. He did a perfect job. He says, that's exactly the point. In heaven, they realize, they realize what's happening. When you study Torah, they realize that they couldn't handle it. It's, you're dealing with the king. You're dealing with the, with the crown, with the crown jewel. They couldn't handle it. We, because we're numb and we're insensitive and we don't feel anything and we're half, half dead spiritually, we don't feel anything. Study Torah, study Torah. You realize what's happening when you're studying Torah? <laughs> you're becoming one with the essence of God. You become a reflection unified within the absolute unity of God. At this moment, you become a reflection of the ultimate absolute truth, the way reality is from the inside out. The rea- you don't feel anything. And that's why we can study Torah and, and it, we can go ahead and, and do what we have to do and study and, and get it done. Is attending a shir like this, studying Torah? What do you think? I mean, in the same sense that, that one goes... Yeah. Absolutely. As long as you know that it's divine. As long as you know that the Torah is holy. If you know the Torah is holy, you know it's divine, it could be a simple child studying, but he's studying God's Torah. Or it could be the deepest rabbi, mystic, and scholar studying the deepest parts of the Talmud. It's only when you forget that it's Torah, you forget that it's divine, and it just becomes an intellectual exercise. And you want to show how brilliant you are, and that that then it becomes a problem. Then it's like you're dealing here with the divine, and you've you've forgotten what it's all about. You've forgotten that it, that that this is holy. But when you approach Torah, and you approach it with holiness, this is another way the Baal Shem Tov empowered the simple Jew. Because he said when the simple Jew reads the Psalms and when he studies Torah in his sincerity, in his simplicity, but he knows it's holy and he approaches the Torah with holiness, he is connecting with the divine equally. Like the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar is totally immersed in that deepest passage in the Talmud. Because the, over, the, over, the, the ultimate purpose of studying Torah is becoming unified with the divine. Everyone on their own level. Because as long as they're studying Torah, as long as their mind is becoming unified with the divine mind, even if you study something as simple, Torah says this is kosher and it's not kosher. At that moment, you're studying the divine mind. And every aspect of the divine mind, every aspect of the Torah contains the whole entire Torah. The simplest word in the Torah, the simplest halacha on the most basic level contains all the other. Yes, the Torah is a code within a code within a code within a code, but when you study the acts goring the other acts and what the law is, that, and you understand that law, you're also grasping all the layers upon layers, the infinite layers that are contained within this law. Because it's all there. It's God's infinite mind. Every word in the Torah is a vessel of you for God's infinite mind. Even though you don't see it, and maybe you don't have the, the mind or the brains or the ability or the time or the energy to be able to decode the message and this one could take the Torah at a deeper level and this one could take it on a superficial level. But that's all details. That's just an aspect. But the, the, the core, the essence of studying Torah, that when you study any portion of Torah, you are unified with the very essence of God's mind. It doesn't matter if you're, five, if you're understanding the Torah on the simplest level, or even if you're a simple Jew, just called up to the Torah and just reading the words, without even understanding what you're saying. At that moment, you are unified with the divine. And you have achieved this communion, this unity. So again, the Bashem empowered the simple Jew. 
And he said that he, he's not losing out anything. As, a, as the Torah says, a simple Jew, when he reads the Shema in the morning and the afternoon, that's his way of fulfilling the mitzvah, of studying Torah by day and by night. The person who has deeper abilities, he has to study 18 hours a day, 20, 20, 24 hours a day. But each one of them equally fulfills the mitzvah and each one of them is connected with the divine. So again, when you approach the Torah with humility, with the divine, there's no holier than thou, I am closer, I am greater, I am more connected, you're nothing. That whole arrogance, that whole ego, that whole authority model, and that whole elitism melts away. What elitism? You're becoming unified with the divine. There's no other reality but the divine. This is the revolution of Hasidus. It transformed how you approach studying of Torah. You study Torah Lishma for its own sake. To become unified with the absolute unity of God. And there's nothing else in the world that enables us to achieve this level of unity. Our mission is to engage the world, but not as an end in itself. The mission is to bring God into this world. To make this world into a, into a Torah world. Then it's a different world. When you start looking at this world from Torah eyes, with Torah eyes, from a Torah perspective, you start seeing everything in life, everything in reality, you ask yourself, so what does the Torah say about this? What does, you start looking at it with lenses, with new lenses, from the Torah's perspective. You start seeing it from God's point of view, from the inside out. Therefore, it transforms the world. And we start seeing that this world is not a jungle. This world is not hopelessly corrupt. This world is not a world of lies and deception. This world is really the holiest of all the worlds. You start looking at this world from God's point of view. From God's perspective, you get a whole different perspective. While others are whistling past the grave and have a very dim view of this world. You're born in sin, you might as well quit while you're behind. Everything is about the afterlife. A Jew feels the most comfortable in this world. Because of the Torah. Because the Torah totally, you start looking at this world with Torah eyes, with Torah glasses. You remove the blinders and instead you put on the Torah. And when you start looking at this world with the Torah's perspective, from God's perspective, from God's eyes, you see a whole different world. It's a beautiful world. This is the most creative world. This is the holiest of all the worlds. This is where the greatest opportunity is. This is where you come face to face with the essence of God. Not in heaven and not in the heaven of heavens. In this physical world. The ultimate is the resurrection. The ultimate reward. When souls will come back into this, this physical world. So it's only through studying Torah and by immersing ourselves in Torah, that gives us our ability to fulfill our mission, that engaging the world and transforming the world into a Torah world. That we connect everything, we start seeing everything in this world from a Torah, from a Torah perspective, from Torah eyes, and it becomes a Torah world. Then it becomes a godly world. So the only way to fulfill our mission of bringing godliness into this world is only by studying Torah coupled with doing the mitzvah. But the Torah is what unifies us with God, is what allows us to live on the level where there is no other reality but God. When that reality, when you study Torah, you become that reality. You become part of that reality.
your mind is engaged in the very same thing that engages God's mind. And you start seeing the world from God's point. God's concept, God's idea. Kosher, not kosher, right, wrong, pure, impure. Good, not good. When you start seeing God's mind and what God thinks, that's when your life becomes a reflection of that reality. There's no other reality but God. At that moment, you become part of that reality. And when you are part of that reality, then you have the power to bring that reality into this world. By making this world into a Torah world. Conquering the world with Torah. How is it that so many people somehow perceive this because they kept trying to stop it? So they must have had some concept that this is going on. Ego is very threatened by... uh, the Jew. So anyone who's very egotistical and every, anyone who's very arrogant and egotistical, consciously or subconsciously, is very threatened by the Jew. Because the Jew represents godliness. And the Jew doesn't, doesn't, doesn't respect ego. You could be the most religious person in the world. But if you're egotistical, you could be the most spiritual person in the world. But if you're the Jew has no respect. You be the most artistic. You can be the most brilliant, most poetic. If you're egotistical, the Jew has no respect for you. Because the only thing a Jew respects is godliness, which is egolessness. But there is no ego. All there is is God. The Jew is permeated with the knowledge that every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, every Jew knows deep down there's no other reality but God. And that's why you had, you had the righteous Gentiles throughout all the generations, the Mark Twains of the world, the Tolstoys of the world, the Paul Johnsons of the world, the good people, who are not ego, egomaniacs. Um, the, uh, well, the Wallenbergs of the world, the righteous Gentiles of the world, Sugiharas of the world, who respected the Jew and loved the Jew because they themselves were good people. Versus the Voltaires of the world who were extremely anti-Semitic and extremely arrogant and horrible people. To them, the Jew was enemy number one. And there are many people who hide behind religion but are very arrogant and egotistical. And they, it's, it's, God says, if you hate the Jew, you hate me. Very simple. Because what does the Jew represent? Consciously or subconsciously, the Jew represents godliness. And the anti-Semite feels very threatened. Because the whole identity, when your whole identity is tied up with your ego, the Jew represents a revolution, an egolessness, a godliness. Instead of being ego-focused, be God-focused. And that feels very threatening. So to the arrogant, egotistical person. So therefore, consciously or subconsciously, they feel very uncomfortable with the Jew, and that's the source of anti-Semitism. The Jew is the conscience of the world. That's why anti-Semitism runs so deep, because it touches the very essence of the person. The Jew threatens the very essence of the person, his ego. It's not just the detail. You know, the Indian smoking peyote or the Buddha sitting and meditating on the mountaintop doesn't bother anyone. You know, what does that have to do with me? But the tiny Jew, you can hardly find... Is, is completely is, is threatening 
ego. Because it's challenging. It challenges your whole underlying assumption of reality. The Jew challenges the very underlying assumption of reality, which is ego and self. And the Jew represents, instead of being egocentric, being God-centric. And that's a very uncomfortable and threatening position. And that's the ultimate cause of anti-Semitism. But for the righteous Gentile, who lives a Noahide life, who lives a righteous life, who has a little humility, who has a little connection to godliness, they always loved the Jews, they admired the Jews, they respected the Jew, they honored the Jew. And they had a, a sense of awe and respect for the Jew. But thank God the world is becoming a refined place. And more and more people are clamoring for the Torah, for Jewish guidance and teaching, because the world is becoming refined. The world is becoming more and more righteous. The world is realizing that... that uh, you know, the Torah, that's the truth. There is a truth. And they're hungry for that truth. Precisely because we're the wealthiest generation in human history. So we, we, people have made it to the top. They've climbed, climbed the Mount Everest of materialism. No. And now what? This is it. There has to be more to life. So there's a genuine hunger for spirituality, for godliness. And they're coming to look at the source. They're coming to find it at the source. The Jew stood at Sinai. The Jew has the Torah. And we can't keep it to ourselves. We, we are meant to be a light unto the nation, to communicate, to teach, first and foremost by personal example. By being godly and acting godly and living a godly life, a Jewish life, and being proud of our Jewishness, Jewish pride, carrying ourselves with Jewish pride and dignity. And... Um, so we have a tremendous opportunity today we never had before to, to share and to communicate uh, that Jewish message to, to the entire world. They're still, you still have the hardcore anti-Semites. You still have Amalek. You still have the, the Nazis in one form or another. But their days are numbered. And uh, Jewishness and the Jewish message it's only the world is open and receptive to the truths of the Torah. And the world is becoming a very genuine and godly and good place. At least underneath at least underneath the surface. <laughs> I have trouble with that statement. I see just the opposite actually. So I am I'm, I'm not arguing with you. No, I'm not I, I, I said I said uh, it's not a discussion. It's it's up for another time. Yeah. I said, underneath the surface, uh, but we are in the information age, and the blessing of the information age is that uh, everything is coming out to the surface. Everything is coming out in the open. So, yes, there's a lot of deception, and we live in a very false world, and and uh, it's enough to make you hear stand on, stand on its head. But on the other hand, everything is coming out into the open. You know, you can hoodwink, you can lie, you can cheat, but more and more people are onto them, so to speak. And everything is emerging and everything is surfacing. And it's becoming, as the world is becoming more and more intelligent, intelligence is the information age. 
soon even the walls are going to have intelligence. You won't even be able to hide behind your walls because the walls will tell all your secrets. So there are no more secrets. Everything is coming out into the open. So you used to be able to get away with murder, but it's becoming a little harder because sometimes within 24 hours, we used to take years to surface, all of a sudden the next day, it's out there. Everyone knows, everyone's aware. So yes, there are plenty of people who still love money and use people instead of the reverse. There are plenty of people who look down on the masses and who think that they're so clever and so smart and so superior that they can just abuse power and abuse people and think they can get away with life as usual, business as usual. And you see that all across the board. But again, it's becoming harder and harder to continue life business as usual. There are too many people who know there are too many people who are intelligent, who are aware of what's going on. You can lie. You can't lie to all the people all the time. It's becoming more and more difficult. And so the old order of things, of business as usual, and continue the deception and the lies and just hoodwink everyone and just... It's, it's, not hap- it's becoming more and more difficult. So it's only a matter of time because of the blessing of the information age. The world is becoming much more aware, much more intelligent. And... Um, you know, when you live in very close societies, you can, you can have dictatorships and you can have it becoming much more difficult when everyone is aware and people are aware. And so, in that sense, I'm saying the world is becoming more refined. The world is becoming allergic to lies. And the fact that nobody trusts the leadership anymore, no one trusts the media anymore, is the biggest proof the world is becoming allergic to lies. They can't get away with murder anymore. Who are you kidding? So, they're, so they're, they're deluding themselves and thinking that, that they've deluded anyone. They're not deluding anyone. We know your number. We know your game. It's up. It's all over. Life is not just about power. If, if it wasn't ego and power, but if there was a genuine respect for people, we could have solved our energy problems a long time ago. This world could have become a garden of Eden today. So you have a few people on top with their own agendas, very evil agendas, but the people are onto them. And uh, it's very difficult. It's becoming much harder. So in that sense, I think the world is becoming allergic to lies. We don't, we don't buy it anymore. You know, it's, it's, and when you don't buy it anymore, the power is illusory. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, we just have to open our eyes. If we open our eyes, if the grassroots, if people opened our eyes, all these characters... <laughs> All these criminals and characters would be out of business in a second. We know. We know who they are. We know what they did. And we know what they're doing today. And we know exactly. And they, you know, they, they're still getting away with murder. But, you know, it's, it's more and more people are becoming aware. More and more people know, know the score. And it's, it's, their time is up. They know they're about to leave, exit the scene of human history. We defeated fascism, we defeated communism, and now we're going to defeat the heartless, soulless, so-called people elite who think that they're in control and laugh at the people. And It's just a matter of time. We have to empower ourselves. We have to realize that we really have the power. Which was really what Hasidus was all about. The whole revolution of Hasidism, the Balshemta, the Hasidic movement, which is why there was so much opposition. Just like there's anti-Semitism, there's opposition to the Jew, within the Jewish community also there's the Misnagdim, there's opposition to the Baal to, to the Hasidism, to the godliness of Yiddishkeit. For the same reason. Because there was a looking down 
on people. Baal Shem Tev empowered the simple Jew. Baal Shem Tev respected the simple Jew. And as we learned, Alter Rebbe explained in his introduction, the whole authority model, go to the authority and the authority will tell you what to do and he'll tell you how to live and he knows best. And That never fit the human, the human spirit, the human soul. No authority can tell you. You can't even tell yourself. You have to encounter it. You have to experience it. Your soul is a piece of the divine. Your soul is infinite. You have to approach your soul with respect, with humility. And if you respect your own soul, you respect the soul in the other person. The Baal Shem Tov used to learn from the simplest person. He would take his students, the greatest geniuses of Eastern Europe, the greatest rabbis, mystic, and scholars. Rabbi Dov Ber, there wasn't a single published book that he hasn't studied 102 times. He was like knowledge, most brilliant mind in Eastern Europe. And he used to take him to a simple Jew to learn what faith in God means, what trust in God means. The Baal Shem Tov empowered the simple Jew. Treated everyone with respect. He was the true egalitarian, the true democrat. Versus the wholesale, the establishment was very threatened by it. Because they were the authorities. They controlled. They looked down at the masters. They put them in their place. You have to trust us. We are the authorities. It was pure ego. And they felt very threatened. They called themselves the Mitnagdim. And they vehemently, viciously opposed the Hasidic movement. But of course, they were fighting the ocean current. In a matter of two, three generations, Hasidism swept through the whole Eastern Europe. Three-fourths of the community became Hasidim. So, this is the wave, this is the wave of the future. When there's respect for the dignity, every human being is created in the image of God. When there's respect for every human, when you respect the soul of a person, instead of a few power elites that have put such a fear in everyone and trying to control everyone through fear, which is the biggest proof that there are a bunch of fakes and frauds and phonies because a real leader doesn't frighten people. A real leader has nothing to fear but fear itself. A real leader opens people up, empowers people. So we have to realize that we're empowered. The information age is empowering us. And we just click them off, you know? And someone is hacking in China, what do you do? You just move on. That's it. I'm not interested. Goodbye. I have no time for you. I have no energy. And if enough grassroots people just click them off, they're out of business. They're finished. It's an illusion. It's a bubble. That's all it is. So in that sense, the world is becoming allergic to lies. It's really up to us. This has to be a grassroots revolution. And that's what the Tanya is all about. The Tanya empowers us. The Tanya is teaching us that each and every one of us has a soul. Each and every one of us has the power. It has that intrinsic worth and that value. And that. And you have to carry yourself with pride and dignity. And no authority can tell you what to do. You can't even tell yourself. You have to encounter your soul. You have to experience your soul. Approach your soul with humility, with respect. It's a mystery. It's divine. It's infinite. And there's so much to explore, and there's so much to discover, and there's so much to tap into, and there's so much to express. And if you treat yourself with sacred respect, instead of controlling and manipulating and a doggy dog world and a jungle, you treat the other person with respect. You see the soul in them. You see that they're also created in the divine image. And you treat them with dignity and respect. That's the world of Mashiach. That's the world that the Tanya is helping to usher in. 
انتهيس Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky